I grabbed one stand, but I have old lady eyes. I need it closer to me. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay, sorry. I made it. I made it awkward, didn't I? Okay. Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning with us at Homestead. We're so uh, honored to have you with us. I just love. I love every part about what our services are together. I love us all coming together and singing together and pulling our faith and uh, the body of Christ just coming together. It's just such a beautiful thing. So we're so happy you're with us today. We have been in a series over the last few weeks talking about spiritual battles, and we have been discussing what it looks like to be aware of the battles that are happening spiritually and how we can fight, how we can fight the plans of the enemy. And so if you're new here today, I hope that uh, this doesn't seem weird to you, but the reality is we all believe in a spiritual realm, right? If you're here, if you ever say, dear God, I pray to you for this, you are praying to something you can't see, correct? We believe in a spiritual realm. We believe that there are things that we cannot see. And the Bible is very clear that not only are there spiritual things that we can't see on the side of God and angels, but he also gives us insight into this side of the spiritual realm that includes an enemy of us and an enemy of our souls and that we have opposition to the things of God and that there is a devil and there is uh, darkness and there are spirits of darkness and that we are in a battle and scripture over and over shows us that we have to be aware that that's happening so that we know how to fight that battle effectively. Um, I just want to real quick look at a few scriptures that we looked at right at the beginning of this series talking about the enemy of our souls. Who is the devil? Where does he come from? What is he like? And you can see from these scriptures, scripture tells us the enemy is our great enemy and that he is prowling around looking for someone to devour. We know that the enemy is the father of lies. That everything he does is full of lies. And that when you hear lies in your mind or you hear lies in the world, we can know that they are originating from the father of lies. And then the last verse is in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So everything that the enemy is about is about the destruction of people, the destruction of all that's good. He is here to bring chaos and destruction. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to give us everything that is opposite of that, right? Amen? Life, fullness, everything good. And so we have to be aware of the enemy's schemes. We see over and over in scripture that the devil utilizes all kinds of strategies and methods to try and accomplish his purpose to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've been studying the insight that scripture gives us about those strategies and methods because scripture also gives you and I, as followers of Christ, strategies and methods to fight back against the plans of the enemy. And that's what I want us to focus on today. We don't have to be afraid. We don't need to wring our hands in fear. Uh, the power and the strategies that the enemy has are cunning and they are shrewd, but they are absolutely no match for the power of God, for the power of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you and me today. Amen? Amen. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is where we're going to be focusing this morning. And we're going to be looking at this passage that talks about what our weapons and what our strategies are. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I want to unpack the scripture a little bit, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the evil, uh, the devil's schemes. So I want to first talk about this verse. Number one, the enemy has a strategy to attack you. It says, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes, the strategy. The word there for strategy is the Greek word methodia, which is a method. It is a, a organized plan. It is well-crafted trickery. I was talking to the colonel the other day. We call him the colonel not just because he's bossy sometimes, but because he was actually a colonel. And he served a number of deployments, flew Black Hawk helicopters, so he's got some really great stories. And we were talking about something a couple of weeks ago, just about his time in the military, and he was talking about strategy. He's like, well, half of my military career, all I was doing was talking strategy. What's the plan? What are we doing? How are we going? Not only what's the plan, what's the counter plan? What, are, what misinformation are we feeding so that people think we're doing this, but we're doing this over here? And I was amazed. I never really thought about how much strategy goes into any kind of war or conflict. But it makes sense, right? Can you imagine if Colonel just said to his men, like, hey, everybody, everybody grab a gun, grab a helicopter, let's head on over here and just see what happens, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was no plan, if there was no strategy? Well, no, any kind of great battle involves strategy on both sides. It involves specific ways of attacking your enemy. It's of finding the vulnerabilities and weaknesses, finding the places that you want to come and attack. There's a plan, there's an operation, there's a strategy, and the same is true of the enemy towards us. It says, be on guard against the enemy's schemes, his strategy. The enemy has a strategy as to how he is going to attack you. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. The Good News translation says it this way, no weapon that has been made to be used against you will succeed. This means the enemy makes weapons specifically formed to attack you. And the enemy makes weapons specifically formed to attack me. The enemy is not going to try and tempt me with drugs. I've never had a problem with drugs. It's nothing that's ever been a part of my life. So he's not going to come at me and try and tempt me to somehow go into something that has never even been near my circle. 
But Dennis, who leads our recovery meeting, who has a history and a past with drugs, I guarantee you that every day the enemy's thinking, you know what I could dangle in front of him? Something that was in his past. So the enemy has a strategy to attack Dennis that's going to be different than his strategy to attack me. So he's not going to come at me with a temptation to try and get involved with drugs. But, you know, for me, he'll use depression. He'll use fear. He'll use anxiety. He'll use me disqualifying myself because of my own insecurities. And he can equally take me out with those as he can equally take Dennis out with a temptation to with drugs. Because... Our weapons are formed against us. The enemy has a strategy. He is going to attempt you and come after you with things that are vulnerable to you. So how does the enemy know what our vulnerabilities are? Well, I want to call one question right now because a lot of people ask this question when we talk about the spiritual realm. Can the devil and demons read our minds? Some people ask, yes. The answer is equivocally no. They do not know our thoughts. They cannot get inside our heads. The answer is no. Demons do not have superhuman knowledge. They cannot read your thoughts. And 1 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that. We know that the enemy does not have the same powers of God. So when we talk about the characteristics of God, there are three main things that are a part of who God is. He is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. There's no limit to his power. God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that will ever happen. And God is omnipresent, which means God can be everywhere at the same time. He can be at your house ministering to you and at my house ministering to me, and he is inside of all of us. God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, but the devil does not have those characteristics. He is not all-knowing. He does not know everything. He cannot see everything. He does not understand everything. He is not all-powerful. He does not have unlimited power. There are limits to what his power is. And he is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. So the devil's power is very limited. And so when people start to think, is the devil getting in and in my mind? No. Only the spirit of God and you yourself will know what you are thinking. So the devil does not have those powers. So you might be asking this question, well, if the devil can't read my mind, how does he know how to form a weapon against me? Well, Ladies and gentlemen, we give him a whole lot of intel. We give him a whole lot of clues as to where our vulnerabilities are, right? Our past behavior, the things we do, the ways that we struggle, the things that we speak out, the places that we actively engage in things. It's no secret, probably, where our vulnerabilities are. And so he knows how to tempt us. And he's clever and he's cunning and he's observant and he's relentless. So he reads our behaviors and then he creates a strategy to attack us. He tries to exert influence over us and tempt us with, with things by creating circumstances and obstacles that we'll be, uh, we'll be susceptible to because of our points of vulnerability. And the enemy can whisper lies on our shoulder. I always imagine, you know, the, the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on one year in the cartoons back in the day. That's how I imagine the devil trying to exert influence over us. He's just whispering things to us. What about this? What about that? Right? And so he tries to exert influence over us, but we can listen to it or we can reject it. 
So we need to be aware that the attacks coming at us are going to be strategically aimed at our weaknesses. So that's the enemy's strategy. So what's our strategy against that? Well, first of all, this is why we have to be aware of our vulnerabilities, right? Why we have to know the places that we are easily tempted. I know how my insecurity can derail me, so I continually work on it. I grow in faith. I talk to people who can help me with it. I have accountability in my life, people that I go to and say, hey, I know this is an area where I can be vulnerable. Can you help me? Can you point out stuff when you see it? I take time and I memorize scripture that is uh, absolutely associated with that vulnerability so that when the enemy tries to tempt me because I know it's vulnerable, I have built myself up in that area because I know his strategy is to come at it, so my strategy is to be hyper aware of it and to make sure that I don't put myself in a position where he can use that weakness to bring me down. This is how we fight against the weapons that are formed against us. So we know the enemy has a specific strategy to attack each one of us. So let's move on to the next section, starting in verse 12. It says, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul shows us, where evil is showing up in this battle. And this is important because we need to be aware of how evil operates. We need to understand our enemy. We need to understand his methods and his schemes. And we need to have our eyes opened to when we see something happen and we can closely identify that's evil. That's of the devil, right? So Paul gives us a list of where these evil forces are going to be attacking and we need to learn to recognize them, so not so that we can be fearful, but so when we see it and recognizing it, we, use, we can pray. We can use the spiritual authority that we have in Jesus' name to fight against us. This is our strategy. Paul says that we fight against the rulers of the dark world, against the authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil. There are those things out in the world that are forces of evil working to steal, kill, and destroy. And so I want to talk just a little bit about how can we recognize evil at work? How can we identify it? And I have three main things that I think when we see it, we have to absolutely recognize they are evil. The first is hurt and harm is always at the center of demonic activity. Remember, the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you see violence... When you see the dehumanization of people, when you see the destruction of lies, of lives, you can know that you are viewing activities of dark spiritual forces at work. Demonic activity always brings harmful effects on those who are being attacked. You can go through scripture and read every story of where someone was facing spiritual opposition and you can see there was always harm happening to the person who was being attacked physical harm, all kinds of different things. So we know that if we see hurt and harm, we can know this is the enemy at work. Number two, base fleshly gratification is always in the center of evil. When people take whatever they want and it doesn't matter who they hurt in the process, abuse, human trafficking, greed, slavery. Greed by some, which causes extreme poverty in others. When you see selfishness running rampant at the expense of another human's dignity, 
you are encountering the power of evil at work. Jeff and I, a number of years ago, had the incredible privilege of help leading worship for uh, a national convention for an organization called International Justice Mission. And IJM is a group of lawyers who decided they weren't okay with just seeing the injustices around the world, but that they were gonna try and do something. They were looking at countries where people who were abusing others, calling them into slavery, human trafficking, they were never prosecuted because of corrupt governments. And so they started going in, finding believers, changing laws, prosecuting offenders. And it's such a phenomenal organization because they are literally bringing light into the darkest of places. But I'll never forget Jeff and I sitting and listening to them tell all the stories. They flew in all of the directors from all around the world that help run this organization. And they were telling stories of people, young girls, families. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. How could this be happening? How could one person do something like this to another person? And I will tell you in that second, I recognize this is evil. This is evil. And we as followers of Christ have to recognize evil. It's not enough to just say, oh, that's too bad. We have to get on our knees and fight. And every morning pray, Lord, stop the plans of evil men today. Stop the plans of those who are doing wickedness and bringing harm to others. We recognize this is the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy people's lives. And we will take up the spiritual authority we have in Christ and we will pray. Because when we see people dehumanized, that is the work of evil in the world. And the last place that we will see evil advancing is the blocking of the gospel. It's always the goal of spiritual warfare. And we see that the enemy is always trying to keep people from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Opposition to the word of God and those who are seeking to preach it is a strategy of the enemy. And you can ask any missionary who has spent any time overseas, the amount of opposition that they face on a daily basis is because the enemy is not okay with people coming and bringing light into dark places. And he will try and do anything he can to stop the gospel from being spread. But you know what I've been thinking about a lot? The enemy is just as shrewd in trying to stop the gospel from being spread here. So what is his strategy here in this side of the world? I would say it's indifference. I would say we have a church today that is less interested in evangelism than we ever have been. I would say he gets us as a church lulled into just enjoying our time together and growing together and all the wonderful things together, but we forget there's a whole world that does not know Jesus Christ, and our number one call as the church of Jesus Christ is to tell the world about Jesus. And so his strategy with us, I think, is to keep us from even thinking about it. But make no mistake, a strategy of the enemy is to block the gospel from being preached. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. He talks about the gospel as seeds being planted, and he gives a number of scenarios. But in verse 12, he says, those along the path are ones who hear, but then the devil comes and he takes the word from their hearts so they not, may not believe and be saved. He gives all kinds of reasons that people don't believe in Christ, but this one's particularly, he says, the devil actually comes and plucks out a seed when it's heard. So we need to be praying that not only the gospel goes forth, but that every seed is protected. 
And when someone hears the good news of Christ, that the devil cannot pluck it out and cause them not to believe. Because this is a strategy of the enemy. And next, I want to give you some other specific places that scripture identifies activities involving demonic activity and specific doors that spiritual forces use. Now, this is just straight scriptures. I put references on there so you can go back this week and you can look. This is the place that scripture tells us, hey, these are actual doors that the enemy and spiritual forces can impact your life if you open up the door to them. And I want to take a second and make sure because we don't, again, want to be, we want to understand the devil's schemes. So the first is in Acts 5, it uh, talks about temptation to engage in immoral practices. The enemy is going to tempt you. This is a big part of his strategy. He's going to try and get us to do things that are against what God has for us. We also see with demonic activity, you will see the physical harm of oneself or others. In Mark chapter 5, the man who was possessed by an evil spirit, you see that he was cutting himself. He was hurting himself. This is a part of evil. And so when we see this kind of activity, we can know, we can pray against that. When we see people wanting to harm themselves, we can pray against that. That is a spirit that is of darkness and evil. Originating and propagating false doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about this, that the enemy will try and get the church to believe something about the gospel that isn't true. And propagating false doctrine is a scheme that the enemy does to try and get us to get off message. And we have to remain steadfast that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, that we keep our doctrine solid and we know that there is only one way to get to heaven and that's through Jesus Divination is an an illegitimate means of determining the will of God, seeking knowledge of the future by unknown supernatural means. We see this in 1 Samuel when Saul wanted to know what was going to happen, but he didn't want to ask God because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. So he went to a witch and we see that he was trying to get information about the future from a source outside of God. The next is necromancy, which is communicating with the dead. Isaiah tells us to stay away from this practice. We are to inquire of the Lord about things. This type of inquiry invites a strategy for the enemy to lie to you. When you are in a vulnerable place and someone that you love has passed and someone says, I can give you access to them and you open up your heart, you are opening yourself up to a spiritual force where you can be lied to two. The next is magic. Now, I'm not talking about a kid's birthday party. This is not about somebody pulling a quarter out of your ear. Not that kind of magic, okay? But formulas and incantations, engaging with the spirit world in a receptive and open manner is dangerous. Do not play around with this. The next is sorcery. The use of spells, divination, and speaking to spirits. Now, this is very interesting. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about sorcery. But the interesting thing is this word in Greek is actually the word pharmakia, which means dealing in poison. And a number of commentaries that I read this week talks about illegal drug use, recreational drug use, that this is absolutely a strategy of the enemy. And if you want to talk about destruction of lives, you can see how this idea of uh, drug use, destroying people's lives, is a plan and strategy of the enemy, and we should stay away from it. 
And lastly is witchcraft and astrology. Again, this is using a method other than God in the Bible to try and gain inside information about the future, which is dangerous because you are literally opening yourself up for other spiritual forces to speak into your lives. And the world would tell you that all spiritualism is okay. But we know there is darkness and light. And we cannot open ourselves up to the spiritual realm and not expect dark voices to try and convince us of things that are not true. Now, as a disclaimer, I'm not saying right now that you have to go home and like burn all of your Lord of the Rings books or anything like that, okay? This is not what I'm saying at all. There are all kinds of imaginative stories and movies and birthday party magic shows, and we don't need to get overly hyped up and worked up about stuff, right? The last thing we want to do is become legalistic, but I will tell you this. I absolutely have turned off a movie in the middle of watching it when something in my spirit goes, this is dark. I have absolutely been reading a book and went, whoop, I'm not reading that anymore. This is dark. I, I love Halloween. I look at every single picture of your kids with their cute little princess costumes on. I love all of that. I love that side of it. But when I start to encounter darkness and gore and violence and evil, I absolutely turn away from it. All I'm saying is I have no interest in giving the enemy any access point into my life. And so what I'm saying to you, it is your responsibility to be discerning. We are never, as pastors of this church, going to give you a list. You know why? Because weapons are formed against you. And only you know where your vulnerabilities are and where you need to shut the door. And God might tell you no to something very specific that I would never even think about. It is your job as a follower of Christ to be discerning. And when you sense that something is evil, you absolutely shut the door, and you do not open yourself to any strategies of the enemy. Amen? Amen. So we recognize the strategies of the devil. We identify access points where he tries to get us to open up ourselves to his lies. And lastly, Paul gives us the weapons to fight back. Let's look at uh, verse 13. It says, then, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So the last thing that we're going to spend the rest of our time on today is we have to put on our armor. Paul gives us this list, and it addresses all the places that the enemy is coming for you. And he tells us, here's your spiritual tool that you can use to stop every single one of these strategies and schemes of the enemy. So I just want to go through each one so that we are well aware of the weapons that we have to fight a spiritual opposition. The first is the belt of truth. We talked about the enemy being the father of lies, and he will lie and lie and lie to you. 
And remember, we talked the very first week that a stronghold in our life is one lie that's meditated on, entertained, and believed, followed by another lie that is meditated on, entertained, and believed. And eventually, you believe enough lies, you have now created a stronghold around your life where the enemy has access. And so... It, the belt of truth is absolutely our best weapon. When the enemy comes and tries to tell us lies, we use the truth as a weapon. We say, we recognize that's a lie. That's not true. I know that that's not true. And we call out and identify lies when they come. And we use truth as a weapon to stop the enemy's schemes to build a stronghold of lies in our lives. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is twofold. We receive the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, and he covers us with his righteousness, so we are now made right with God, and we can have a full, deep relationship with him. But the second part is that now we begin to live out our righteousness by our choices and how we live our lives. Righteousness is right living. It's right living. When we are putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we are more committed to living right than to satisfying our flesh by giving in to the temptations of the devil. Every time you deny your flesh and you resist the temptations of the devil, you are defeating him. Every time. And God's strength is right there in a moment that you feel like, oh man, I feel this temptation. To, to do something that I know is against God's will for me. And the power of the Holy Spirit can give you the power to stand against that and to live rightly. And if you mess up, the power of God's grace is right there to help you start again. The righteousness of God is a weapon that we use to defeat the enemy. Then we're given shoes. For shoes, we put on the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the good news, and it prepares us for everything we're facing. Man, I think so much of how much our world is lacking peace. And when we think that this, the gospel of peace, brings comfort and security to us, of course we need to have an understanding of the good news of Christ to keep us prepared. Then we have the shield of faith. I love this one because the definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in something. Complete trust. And scripture tells us that the enemy is constantly shooting arrows at us. Not only just arrows, but flaming arrows. So arrows that are lit. And then they are coming at us. And in this day and age, a shield was not just a tiny little thing that you held like this. This would have been all the way body armor that they would hold in front of themselves. And this scripture tells us that when we have confidence and trust in who God is, that when the enemy shoots arrows at us, they will not hit us. It will hit that shield of our faith because we're like, I don't know why you're trying to tell me God's not going to show up. I am absolutely confident that my God is going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And when we put up our shield of faith... And we have absolute confidence that God is going to do what he has said he will do. Those arrows don't hit us in the chest. They don't get to us. They hit the shield instead. And it keeps us from being harmed. And not only does it hit the shield, but it extinguishes the flames. What power do we have? And I think of how often so many Christians are walking around just feeling like they're barely hanging on. How many of us are just allowing these arrows to hit us over and over again because of our doubt? 
And instead, if we would put up that shield of faith, he can keep shooting them, but they're not getting into us. So we need to cultivate our trust and confidence that God is faithful and he will not let us down. Then we're given the helmet of salvation. This means we're given a new mind in Christ, a new way of thinking at things, a restored and a renewed mind. So every single day we say, God, I am putting on the helmet of salvation. I thank you that I'm going to see things the way Christ sees them today. I'm going to see people the way Christ sees them. I'm going to see myself the way that Christ sees me. We are given a new mind of Christ when we are followers of Jesus. And then we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The truth of God's word is our weapon to combat the enemy. It's interesting. I think a lot of us, when we think of swords in Bible times, we think of these long, huge swords that would go into battle. But actually, the sword that Paul would be talking about is actually a short little dagger. And I love this. You know why? Because this is for up close and personal combat. The word of God isn't just a nice thing as we're all together, some lofty thing. The word of God is your weapon in the middle of the night when you're laying in the dark and you are fighting a battle. This is where we say, hold on, what scriptures do I know? How can I combat? Here's the truth of what I know. Here is how I fight the enemy, up close and personal. I'm not listening to your lies. In fact, here is the truth of God's word. This is why we are so insistent and we bug you all the time about memorizing scripture because it has to be inside of you so that when the enemy comes at you you can just go I know scripture let me just recount what you're saying here let me just tell you why that's not true with the bible and the word of God is your weapon to fight against the attacks of the enemy and the more truth you have hidden in your heart the more tools you have to attack the enemy and the last uh, place that it says here is to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Sometimes we leave this one out in the armor of God. We forget about it because in Sunday school, we put the little helmet on the kids and we talk about all the things, but this is in here too. Praying in the spirit on all occasions. This is one of your weapons of warfare. When it's probably the weapon that I use more than anything in my life. I feel like I am praying under my breath all the time these days because I just don't know. I can see so much evil around, and I just think, Lord, I just am just going to keep praying. Praying in the Spirit is our weapon. And for me, I have a heavenly prayer language that I pray in, and when I speak in tongues, and I honestly do it under my breath probably all day long, but to me, I can feel I am pushing back the power of the enemy. I am submitting myself to the will of God. I am praying for every circumstance I find myself in. But I also find that praying in the spirit, it quickens my heart. I'm sitting in the DMV, and I'm just waiting, and I start looking around, and I see people, and I start praying, Lord, I don't know what their story is, but you know them. And when I take that posture of I'm just going to pray, I'm just going to pray, I think part of it, if we could just put our phones away and entertain where we are at and start looking around the room and instead take on the mantle of, Lord, I'm just going to pray for whoever's in here. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I am praying that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in their life. Stop any plans of the enemy. Lord, I don't know how he is trying to steal, kill, and destroy in their family right now, but you know, and I am praying right now that you would unleash all the power of heaven in their circumstances. Praying in the spirit on all occasions, this is our most powerful weapon that we should be using all the time. So those are our weapons, and those are the tools that God gives us to fight the strategies of the enemy. And as we close today, I want to look at one more scripture. 
Actually, we're going to look at the same scripture, but I want you to look at the word stand. So we read a whole bunch of scriptures today, but you will see here that Paul uses the word stand a whole lot, almost to the point where if I was his English teacher, I'd be like, you should have chose a different word, Paul. But it says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So when the day of evil comes, you're going to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, then stand firm. He keeps using this word stand over and over again. And one commentary I read this week said this, and it was so, so good. It says this, believers are not urged to win the victory since that's already been secured by Christ. But we are urged to stand firm against the devil's schemes as a reminder that the devil is actively planning and strategizing to make believers retreat and fall. I just love that. He doesn't say, hey, do everything you can to try and win. That's off the table. We have already won. The power of the enemy is no match for the power of God, but it does stay to stand, to stand firm. And as I read that, I had this picture in my mind uh, that came to my mind, and it could be totally weird, but it really helped me think about this concept. I was thinking about Easter weekend. We had, like, all these services, and so after Saturday night, we had a couple services, and we, the staff all stayed after, and we were cleaning up and getting everything ready for Easter, and we had pizza, and we have all these kids running around, the staff kids, and um, a bunch of them were running around, and Pastor Brent, who's over here, he was wrestling with all the boys. Now, they're all really little, and they just think they're so tough. And so they were coming up, and they had his legs. They were, they were like children everywhere, all around his legs. And they were like, oh, oh, like they were really taking him down. And Brent's just kind of standing there, and everyone's sitting up a while. He'd go like, oh, no, this is terrible. Don't, don't beat me up, right? But they were so adamant that they were like, we are taking this guy down. And when I read this, this is exactly what I thought of. That as followers of Christ, we're just standing there strong. The battle is won. The enemy is defeated. Now he's going to come and they are going to try and take us out. But it is just like those little boys around his, his ankles. They have no power. They have no authority. They're going to keep trying, but it's more of a nuisance than anything else. And the last thing we want to do in this series as we have wanted to make ourselves aware of the spiritual battle is to give the enemy more credit than he deserves. Because he likes to convince us that he has all power. And he doesn't. So we are aware of his schemes. Only that we can just shake him off and say, in the name of Jesus, we claim all spiritual authority and all power that we have. We simply stand against you. And we watch the power of God at work to break every stronghold, to break every chain, to tear down everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we close. God, we just thank you so much for the power, the power that we have as your followers of Christ. Lord, I thank you that you have won the battle against the enemy. I thank you, Lord, that we have all spiritual authority, that the same uh, spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. God, we thank you today. We focus on how big you are, how strong you are. But Lord, we also recognize there is an enemy and he is wreaking havoc on our world. And Father, as the people of God, we repent that we have not taken our position to stand against him with the authority that we should. So Lord, we are praying right now, open our eyes. 
Open our eyes to the battle. Let us see the places that we need to start standing firm, God. Lord, I pray for every person that has been facing a temptation in their life. I pray, Father, that today they would recognize the scheme of the enemy. Let them see right now that this is the enemy trying to take them down. I pray it would become so crystal clear. And once they recognize that strategy and that plan, that they would quickly kick you off their ankle. And they would know that they have the power to walk in complete wholeness and freedom because of what you have done. Jesus, we pray that those around the world that are being taken advantage of because of evil, we stand in the gap today. Lord, stop their schemes right now in the name of Jesus. We stand against evil people in the name of Jesus. And we pray that light would come into dark places today. And Lord, we pray for the advancement of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we would renew a fire in our hearts to see people come to know Jesus. You are truly the hope of the world. And so, Father, as your people, we recommit ourselves to engage in this battle for your kingdom and your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we'll have people up front that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.